morning, we're going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit moves in the New Testament. But the culmination of that is that if, if we want all those things we've just sung about, we want to be empowered, led by the Holy Spirit. If we want the Holy Spirit to breathe His power on us, there's got to be a shift. There's got to be a change. The power of the Holy Spirit moved in the New Testament for certain purposes, for certain people, for certain tasks, for certain outcomes. And we need to be the people who desire those outcomes, who have those purposes, if we want the Holy Spirit to fall on us. So I challenge you, before I begin this morning, before I preach about the Holy Spirit, let's make sure we're ready to receive what the Holy Spirit has for us. Let's just, let's just take a moment. If, if you feel comfortable, just lift your hands. Close your eyes. Just stand there and let the Spirit of God fall on you. Say to God, I am ready, Lord. Fill me. I want a purpose. I want a new direction. I want to take up your cross. I want to be renewed and refreshed. And I know that many of us, having gone through a season of COVID where we've felt often drained and exhausted, that things have changed so quickly we can't keep up, that some of us would just like a rest. And the idea of the Holy Spirit energising us to do something new is just, it's an anathema. We're sort of thinking, no, no, just go away, let me rest. But let me tell you, with the Holy Spirit in you, what happens in this world, the worldly woes and fears and worries that you have will vanish. That the power of the Spirit is a power that lifts us above what the world brings us. That we can actually overcome those things that have attacked us, those things that are besieging us. But we need to have that attitude to be able to let the Spirit lift us above that. We actually have to open ourselves and say, doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter what I've gone through, doesn't matter what's in my mind, I am prepared to allow God's Spirit to influence my spirit and lift me above all of that. Who's ready for that this morning? Because I can't give it to you. You've got, you've got to accept that gift from the Holy Spirit. You have to open your hearts and minds and say, Lord, I am going to walk my life in step with your Spirit. It takes effort on our part. Lord, I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit falls this morning. That as we hear about you, that as we come to understand you, that we open our hearts so that you can fill us afresh this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, guys. You can take your seats. Awesome job this morning. Now, I was going to recap what I've talked about so far, but I know how, how well people uh, listen to things, so I thought perhaps something visual would be good. So I, I wrote to the Bible Project and asked them to make me a special video, um, sort of recapping what I've been preaching, and, and they actually agreed, which was very nice of them. And so uh, before I begin this morning... Uh, we're actually going to look at a, a video which uh, will uh, take us through that in perhaps a manner better than I can describe it to you. So, attention to the screen. 
If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes. And the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. And so today, the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. Didn't they do a great job for me? So today, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. 
Now, who knows what the New Testament was written in? Mainly Greek. There was a bit of Aramaic in there as well. And so we've learned that, that wonderful word. Notice that they're into the spitting as well. Ruach actually becomes uh, translated with the Greek word pneuma. And that's like, not pneuma. Um, this is like pneumatic. And uh, that means spirit and conveniently also means wind, breath or to blow. And so this morning we're going to look at uh, how the Holy Spirit empowers the life of Jesus and also how it empowers the apostles as well. And so the way that the Spirit is talked about in the New Testament is actually still fits into the, those three categories that I talked about last week uh, that, we, that we see in the Old Testament. There's the creating and sustaining of life, there's the empowering of people for specific tasks and there's the work of new creation in the world. And so in each of the Gospels, Jesus' origins are connected to the creative work of the Spirit. Matthew and Luke talk about Mary's pregnancy with Jesus as being the activity of the Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, uh, the angel replies to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Now that shouldn't be a surprise to us because we already know that God's ruach or his pneuma hovers and creates life in dark, uninhabitable places, whether it's the waters or a womb. Um, and so moving on in Jesus' life, we come to what they describe there, Jesus' baptism, which is another really significant transition point in the life of Jesus, but also in the whole New Testament narrative. Because this is all part of a story that draws together lots of lines of thought from the Old Testament. And it brings us to a new understanding of who God is and what his plan for humanity is. Because we've got this guy, John the Baptist. Anybody remember John the Baptist? Um, he's got this renewal movement going amongst the Jewish people. Uh, and he's asking for repentance. And so he's down by the river. And Jesus comes and John identifies him immediately as the leader, the one who will renew God's people. And in Matthew 3.13, we read that Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptised by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. You think, what? why would he do that? But he says, I'm the one who needs to be baptised by you. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptise him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I mean, the Gospel of Mark is even more dramatic because he says in, in Mark 1.10, uh, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending like a dove. So obviously the New Testament authors are trying to get across the fact that this is a really significant event. And indeed, uh, the gospel writers are keen to make sure that we actually get it. So the, the first question, why the dove? I mean, who would agree? The dove is probably the most common Christian uh, representation of the Holy Spirit. How many times in the Bible is it mentioned? Once, here. This is the only time. But if you think about it, where is another place in the Bible where you read where the Holy Spirit actually acted a bit like a bird? Genesis 1. How funny how we always get back to Genesis 1, isn't it? And so, you know, it says God's ruach hovered over the waters. And in case you're wondering, the word for hovered there, which I won't 
uh, translate, uh, is only mentioned three other times in the Bible, and it's always to do with birds. So we've been given this really powerful reminder that the spirit that's just filled Jesus is the same creation spirit who was there in the very beginning. Uh, Notice also, there are three people here. This is the first time we see that we have Jesus and we have God the Father who's talking to the Son and the one who's communicating the presence and love from the Father is the Spirit. And so this idea of a three-in-one God becomes a, a very common theme throughout the New Testament and later Christian writers, of course, turn this into what we now know as the Trinity. Uh, and so that's a, that's a pretty important starting point uh, in the Gospel there. And so from this point on in all the Gospel, but especially in Luke, uh, the Holy Spirit is intimately associated with the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is led by the Spirit, Jesus speaks by the Spirit, and Jesus is full of the Spirit. Every time um, Luke talks about what Jesus is doing, one of those three phrases tends to come up in, in the narrative. The third thing we notice in this encounter is that now Jesus begins his mission of announcing the kingdom of God because the of the other action of the Holy Spirit we found in the Old Testament, which was that of appointing or anointing someone to a specific task. And Jesus is no different. He has been appointed to do his kingdom work by the leading and empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, the other specific thing to Jesus' story in the New Testament, which is connected to the Spirit, is, of course, his resurrection. Right at the beginning of Romans, Paul talks about Jesus as God's Son. In chapter 1, verse 3, it says, The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Paul uses the creative power of God's Spirit to describe what recreated Jesus' body when he walked out of the tomb and left it empty. And we have to understand that Jesus' existence post-resurrection was fundamentally different from what he was like before that. He was a human, he could eat, he hung out with his disciples, but he had different properties that can only be described as new creation. Uh, and that in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it, it says, just as everyone dies, because we belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And so Paul's saying that this is precisely the form of existence that followers of Jesus hope for in our resurrection. He calls it a spirit-empowered existence. Now, Jesus is the only walking, talking bit of new creation in physical existence. But having accomplished his purpose on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're now introduced to the role of the Holy Spirit in the rest of the New Testament. That should be exciting. Because I I don't know about you, but sometimes I find Jesus a bit hard to live up to. He's God, after all. And we're supposed to be more like Jesus. But who knows? For a start, I'd like to be more like Paul. Or possibly Peter, although perhaps not so much Peter. Um, He's probably got more of a fiery temper than I have. But we need to actually look at the fact that Jesus left us the Holy Spirit for a particular purpose. And so this, this is how it goes down in the New Testament. We see at the end of John's Gospel, Jesus appoints his disciples. And in chapter 20, verse 21, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them 
and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's pretty powerful, but sort of strange. Sort of made me wonder whether you know, Jesus had fresh breath. Um, you know, he, he breathed on them. That, that's not something they would have expected. I mean, that's sort of odd. You don't have conversations with people and suddenly they lean on and go, <laughs> it seems a bit weird. But this is, this is, he's commissioning them the same way David and the prophets were breathed on by the Spirit. And look at what he says before it. He says, as the Father sent me to do I was, what I was doing, now I'm sending you and you're going to go and do what I was doing. And just as the Spirit empowered Jesus to do it, now he's appointing them by the same means of the Spirit to go and do the same thing. And so this concept of the Spirit filling up Jesus' people, empowering them and coming on them, is actually all Old Testament vocabulary. We talked about this, uh, this specific uh, task idea that uh, is all through the Old Testament. And so it's Old Testament vocabulary, but now it's happening through Jesus. And so continuing that vocabulary, the book of Acts then describes what happens on the day of Pentecost as a wind. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was the sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So here we have all of Jesus' followers filled with the Holy Spirit and commissioned and appointed to announce the kingdom of God, bringing the good news, where? All the way to the ends of the earth. And they're called to do this while carrying the personal presence of God. So all through the rest of the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit referred to as a character in the story. And this is where in the New Testament, the presence of the Holy Spirit becomes far more of a person than we see in the Old Testament. And we've got things in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas were working in the church at Antioch and the Holy Spirit speaks and says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for me. Sometimes in the story of Acts, Jesus appears and he'll say things. Other times the Holy Spirit just appears and says things as well. Uh, Paul and Barnabas want to go to Asia. They're forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And then they want to go to Bithynia and the Spirit of Jesus forbids them from going. And so sometimes Jesus will appear to Paul in a visionary form. Other times it's the Spirit of Jesus. Other times it's the Spirit of God. Uh, even Paul even has a, a dream of some random Greek guy from Macedonia who says, come. And because that's through the Holy Spirit, he goes. And so here we're, we're into the realm of the day-to-day -day life of a follower of Jesus. And that's a life where if I'm going to become a mature disciple, I need to cultivate the skill of being aware of the Spirit and what the Spirit is saying to me and prompting or influencing me to do to say or to be. Now, who remembers my first message? No, rhetorical question. Uh, I talked about the church traditions that we grew up in and how that might influence the way we think about the actions of the Holy Spirit, whether you were a cessationalist, not a sensationalist, a, a continuumist, I can't remember what that one was, or part of the third wave, which sounds a lot sexier, but that's us. Um, and... Uh, so there's differing opinions on how the Holy Spirit might be working right here and now. And we read about in the Bible about the need for the apostles to be aware of the guiding of the Spirit. But is that relevant 
for us today. And I think the, the answer actually lies in what we discovered about how God's spirit influences us. If you remember, we talked about the fact that God has a spirit, a ruach. And we also talked about that humans have a spirit as well. And the way God influences you and me is by influencing our ruach, our spirit. Now, some of you are thinking, but hang on, you said this idea of the spirit came from Old Testament writers because they didn't have a word for our mind or our brain. And that's true, you're right. I confess, I'm caught out. But if you read the New Testament, remember what the, the word ruach in the New Testament is now pneuma. And the Greeks have a word for brain and they have a word for mind and it is used in the New Testament. But if you study it, you find that a, an amazing number of times, Paul, rather than use that word, actually uses the word pneuma in its place because the concept that our mind is closely associated with our spirit is not just an Old Testament uh, type. It is actually built on and, and grown in the New Testament. So the fact that God, God's spirit influences our spirit is as true today as it was back then. The, the, the idea of being empowered by the Holy Spirit, operating in the gifts of the Spirit, is not a concept limited to the original disciples of Jesus or even to the New Testament. It's a universal principle which we can reasonably conclude is true for us today. Therefore, part of our maturing as followers of Jesus is to cultivate the skill of being aware of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, yes. Some of you did. But this brings up a very interesting point. How do we know when this is happening? Because, you know, we read in the book of Acts that the Spirit of Jesus prevented them from going to Bithynia. Now, what does that actually mean? It could mean that they woke up one late, late one morning and the boat had already gone and they th said, oh, well, that must mean the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to go to Bithynia. Or was it just because they were too lazy and, and missed the boat? And you know, we don't know, or was it more um, a speaking to them, okay, don't get on the boat. It doesn't actually go into any details. When it says the Holy Spirit set Paul and Barnabas apart, did they just get sick of Antioch and decide, okay, let's leave and say the Holy Spirit told us to go? We don't want to offend anybody, but gosh, this is a dull and boring place. Yeah, Holy Spirit's told us to leave. I mean, you know, does God really want you to take that job in London? Or is that something you want to do? As, as pastors, I, I can't tell you the number of times that people play the Holy Spirit card. The Holy Spirit's told me to go to another church. Ball. You've decided you want to go to another church and you're going to blame the Holy Spirit. Man up. Person up. Whatever. If you want to leave, say you want to leave, but don't blame God. You can blame me if you like. That happens a lot as well. Um, <laughs> The Bible always, doesn't always give details about how the Spirit communicates to us, but thankfully it does indicate how to determine that it's God's Spirit and not something else. Because the apostles know that this is a potential problem. It isn't, isn't a modern day phenomenon at all. And so they address it in a number of ways. Uh, John addresses it very directly, 1 John 4. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Gosh, I like this man. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. So that tells us that we need to test things. In Acts 13, when Saul and Barnabas are commissioned, this is, this is actually what happens if we read it. It says, One day, as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, 
the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. So this isn't just, a, you know, I think we need to go. They were worshipping God and they were fasting. The Holy Spirit spoke to them. They didn't leave. They did some more praying and some more fasting. And they waited till everybody agreed and laid hands on them and sent them off. Acts chapter 15 is a great example of the hardest and yet the most important indicator of the work of the Spirit. And this is something called harmonious resolution. In other words, if, if the Spirit tells you something and it creates a lot of conflict around you, it's probably not the Holy Spirit, it's probably an unholy one. Because in Acts chapter 15, there is a huge debate about whether non-Jewish Christians should get circumcised and obey a lot of the other rules of the Torah. And some Jewish Christians are getting really up in arms about the fact that these guys, you know, we had to do it, why don't they? Um, and so Paul, Barnabas and the apostles all get together in Jerusalem, a huge bunch of them. That's, that's more than two, you know how hard it is to get two to agree. It's more than three, almost impossible. There's, a, there's dozens of them. And they have a down and out argument and a dispute. They pull out their Bibles or their scrolls or whatever they have then. They, have, they argue, they dispute, they go long into the night. There's a lot of wine drinking. There's a lot of bread tearing. It, it is a down and out argument. It's a long debate. But they finally come to a resolution and they write up a letter to send off to all the churches. And this, it's a long letter, but this is the important part. It says, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you'll do well. Farewell. <laughs> but don't you love that phrase? For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. See, they actually not only agreed with the Holy Spirit, but they agreed together. Without the Holy Spirit, who knows? Impossible. I mean, we've seen in today, you get more than two people together and there's an argument. And people don't, don't stay in the middle ground. Everybody just hops to one end or the other and then starts throwing stones. It's like there's no middle ground anymore. Or if there is, it's, it's, a, it's full of stones. <laughs> so if the Spirit says something which increases conflict and makes agreement impossible, then it's probably not the Holy Spirit. And we're well to remember that. If we look through Paul's letters in the New Testament, we find that there are 13 letters that he writes to various churches. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned around 150 times in those 13 letters. So it's safe to say that the Spirit of God is a really big deal for Paul's vision of the Christian life. In Galatians 5.25, he says, Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And so how do we keep in step with the Spirit? Well, let's look at the sort of circumstances where extraordinary actions by the Holy Spirit are observed. First one is Peter preaches to the crowd on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2 verse 6, it says, When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And so Peter gets up and he preaches to the crowd. And in verse 41, it says, Those who believed what Peter said were baptised and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And so what's happened here is the, 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 there are Jewish people from all over the globe who've come, who speak all sorts of different languages. And so this is the first unification of the Jewish people under the Holy Spirit. 
And they hear, they hear uh, Peter preaching in their own language and 3,000 of them are saved. So that's a, a pretty significant collection of new Christians. And then we've got Cornelius' household get filled with the Holy Spirit, which heralds the inclusion of the Gentiles to the Christian faith. In Acts 10.44, it says, Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. It's a bit like, you know, Crows players going to Port Adelaide and suddenly finding that all the Crows support, the Port supporters had become Crows supporters. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> and that's how they thought. They, they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And so Peter asked, can anyone now object to their being baptised? Now they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Then we've got Philip. He baptises an Ethiopian, opening Africa up to the gospel. In Acts 8, 29, it says, The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk beside the carriage. Because this guy was riding in a chariot. Now, I don't know how fast he was going, but it was probably a pretty fast walk for Philip. And uh, they have a conversation about the scripture from Isaiah that this uh, Ethiopian eunuch is reading. And then it says in Acts 8, 38, he ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So it's not what we expected, was it? You thought he was going to come up speaking in tongues. But no, he came up and Philip had vanished. The Holy Spirit whipped him off to somewhere near Caesarea instantly. And so these are all events that happen in the world that are people operating in spiritual gifts as they are tasked or appointed with expanding and growing the kingdom of heaven? Jesus was appointed. We are appointed. So God can appoint different people, enhance their natural abilities, inspire them so that what they contribute to the church is what God wants to happen in that church community. So that's how we as Christians live participating with God's Spirit in step with God's Spirit. And we read that there are, there are different sorts of gifts of the Spirit. And there are, there are numerous places where this occurs. And I was going to actually read out these scriptures, but I think for, for time's sake, I'll refer you to them. So if you read 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11, or Romans 12, 6 to 8, or 1 Peter 4 to 10, and I think there are probably a couple of others, we see that the Holy Spirit gives gifts and there are, there are three different passages there's some overlap some mention others that don't mention <coughs> it's interesting that even though that video talked about Bezalel and how he had the spiritual gift of art and, arts and crafts it doesn't get mentioned in the New Testament but it doesn't matter because this these lists are not exhaustive just because it's not in there. These are examples. This is the sort of thing. It says there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. So if you do have the gift of arts and crafts, just because it's not here in the New Testament doesn't mean it's not a spiritual gift. There's, I mean, uh, if you read some of the uh, literature from the NCD, they actually talk about lots of, there's a, there's a gift of singleness. Um, didn't notice there was a gift of marriage, actually, which I think is far more important. But because I think you need a, a, a great gift for that. Um, well, some people do. I, I think uh, I was very lucky. Um, 
But the gifts that we have are gifts given for a purpose. Uh, and this is the thing. We have a modern culture where gifts are given for us. You know, Christmas, birthdays are a great time. We get gifts and they're for us. The, the great thing about birthdays for children is that they get gifts that they don't have to share. Which gets, well, hopefully they, they do. But And so we're unused to this idea that gifts could be for someone else. And it, and it actually tells us these gifts are given for a purpose and that purpose is the good of God's church. The only proviso with these gifts is that first we have to actually accept another gift. It sounds good, doesn't it? You can't have these gifts unless you accept this gift. You think, wow, sign me up. More gifts, the better. But the gift we have to accept, of course, is the gift of salvation. Because we actually have to be, become a part of God's church. We have to become His people. And the, the first gift that the Holy Spirit brings us after Jesus' resurrection is the gift of new life, the gift of resurrection life. And all of those other gifts hang on that one. If we haven't accepted that gift, then the gifts of the Holy Spirit are closed off to us because we have to have that Spirit living inside of us. And so as I close this morning, I want to offer an opportunity to people online, to people right here. If you're excited by the idea of the gifts of the Spirit, if you've read those passages and, and you're excited about helping people, encouraging people, prophesying over people, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, teaching, hospitality, all of those, all of those things that are mentioned, then we need to actually recognise that in order to have those in our lives, we need to have the giver of those gifts in our lives first. So I want to encourage you, if you're online right now and you want to accept the giver, Jesus Christ, into your heart, I encourage you to press that raise hand button in the chat. And if you've done that, somebody will actually get together with you and show you what the next steps are to take. If you're here this morning, live, and you know that you actually need to take that, that step of accepting that first gift, accepting that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour and you need Him in your life. Can I encourage you after the service just to come up the front and see me? I'd love to pray with you and show you what the next steps are going to be for that. Because that is the exciting step that we have to take. We have to open our hearts to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And if you're, if, if you're in modern day terms, we have to actually give Him administrator access to our lives as our Lord and Saviour. And so if we are saved, if we have accepted Jesus Christ, how do we access these spiritual gifts? Because I think there are two things we need to work on. The first one is we need to learn to walk in step with the Spirit, to allow God's Ruach to influence our own Ruach so that we become more like Jesus. And I'll talk about that next week because we're going to be talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Or actually, I'll correct myself there, the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't plural. And the second thing is to use what we learn from this spiritual influence to help God's people, both inside and outside of the church, because all of these gifts are designed to use the particular gifts given to us for the benefit of others. One of the really most significant things about the day of Pentecost is that it brings together two themes through the Bible. It 
It brings together the theme of the Holy Spirit empowering people. But it also brings together that theme of the temple. Uh, I preached a message uh, probably 2019, middle of the year, about how the kingdom of God, heaven and earth were once in the Garden of Eden meshed together. And as the fall, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth were separated. And the only way we on earth could connect with the kingdom of God was through the temples in the Old Testament. And if you read about the temple and the tabernacle, uh, especially during the, the, uh, the, in the wilderness, it was covered by a pillar of fire and a, a cloud by day. And what was in the tabernacle, can any, anybody remember what was in there? If you went in there, the glory of God was there. Interestingly, in the whole Old Testament, never was the Spirit of God said to be in the tabernacle. It was always the glory of God. You could go in there and wonder at God, but you couldn't go in there and be empowered in that temple. And so the day of Pentecost, the little, the flames above people's heads is, is a culmination of that temple theme in the Old Testament. And it's, it's the revamping of it, that instead of just being having to go to a building and seeing the glory of God, the Holy Spirit turns every single believer into a temple. But the difference is that the glory of God doesn't reside in us. The Spirit of God, for the first time ever, resides in us. And that changes the temple from being a place to go and observe God to being a place where God lives and is powerful. And so that that symbology there is actually a turning point in the power of the followers of Jesus, that we are called to be a temple. You know, there's that phrase, our body is a temple. Uh, And some of us don't look after it the way we should. Don't think of it that way. We're a temple because we don't contain the glory of God, we contain the Spirit of God. And that Spirit is there to empower us to help others. It's a gift not for our own use. It's not for our own consumption. You can't go into a room somewhere and prophesy to yourself, think, oh, I'm operating the gifts of the Spirit. Gosh, I am, yes, you are going to be good. It's going to be a fabulous year this year. I proclaim over your life. You can't do that to yourself. If you have the gift of prophecy, you need to find somebody and encourage them, prophesy over them, build them up, make sure that Jesus is in their life. If you pray in tongues, you pray it to build yourself up, not so that you can feel good about it. I have prayed in tongues today. I am feeling charged with the Holy Ghost. Uh, you don't look so good. It's, not, it's actually so that you can build yourself up so that you can go and minister to people, so that you can pray, so that you can encourage. And so the interesting thing about that is that the way people are impacted by the gifts of the Spirit we operate in is far more dependent on the fruit of the Spirit we exhibit than the gift that we actually have. And we're gonna talk about that in detail. You're going to be flayed, laid apart, exposed with all your sins, ready to, actually, I don't think it'll be that bad. But let me just pray for you as we finish. Mighty God, I just pray that people here with a hungry heart to use the gifts of your Spirit are open to hearing from you, Lord. That our lives walk in step with your Spirit. That as we operate in the gifts that you have given us, we can bless the lives around us.
can change the path of people's lives. We can lift people up out of their situations and their problems and bring them to a new place of life through the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that your spirit lives in us. Mighty Jesus. Amen.